Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Storybox where I, your host, Jay Phantom has the utmost privilege and honor to unbox the amazing stories of some incredible people from all walks of life and experiences. I'm delighted and grateful that you're here today. Now let's dive into the story box and hear more about our guest today. Welcome back, everyone, to the Storybox podcast. Hope you're all doing well and keeping safe and remaining as positive as you can be. My friends, I'm delighted that you're here today because I have Arthur Chalaftis on the Storybox today. Now, for you parents out there, this one is especially for you, and hopefully this episode helps you out. And the reason why I say that is because Arthur has created something pretty inspiring, which is called Toddle. Now, before that, Arthur was the former COO of realestate.com.au, Australia's number one property site for real estate. And since leaving realestate.com.au, he started a major platform called Toddle. Now, here's what I mean by parents. You're going to benefit by listening to this episode because Toddle helps you, the parents, find the right early learning and care center that's right for you and your child by providing a more comprehensive overview of what makes that center unique. And Arthur and I get to talking about how his experience growing up helped him in realestate.com.au, working as a COO, and how realestate.com.au helped him also start his own business in in total. And there's so much more uh, inspiring stories from Arthur in in this episode. So I won't keep you guys too long. I do want to say, though, is we have started a YouTube channel. So for most of our interviews, I will be sharing them on YouTube. So you can look up the Storybox podcast or the Storybox. You'll be able to find the YouTube channel there. Subscribe. We are unboxing stories weekly. Uh, Hopefully, I try and do at least two or three episodes a week over there, plus on uh, all podcast platforms as well. So you're getting a lot of content and a lot of value, I hope. So please do me a huge favor, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to YouTube. Plus also, if you do get something out of this episode, share it around to your friends and family members. Uh, Let them hear this inspiring story too. Plus also leave us a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts as well. It really helps get these kinds of stories out there into the world that you you may not have actually heard them before. And they are very powerful and they are very needful. So I really, really am grateful for all of you. With that being said, my friends, let's dive into the story box and hear Arthur Chalafter's story. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Jay. No, the pleasure is all mine, seriously. And 
before we get stuck into, I guess, your backstory and, and why you decided to do all this kind of stuff, because we we're just talking about how you got quite a large and, and quite a mixed bag of things that you decided to do in your life, which is quite similar to me. Uh, but I'm sure we'll get that get to that in some stage. But what is your what does success look like for you in your life? It's a uh, interesting question. Look, I think. Uh, let's say I think le- fundamentally, I think the critical thing is leaving a legacy um, in everything you do, and I don't mean that as you know when you pass away. I'm talking about in kind of your all your interactions with uh, people. And I think if you can walk away from situations thinking you've either added growth, added some happiness, or you know added to someone's life, um, I think that's a that's a major component. And I think one of the key things there is um, to achieve that. I think you've got to like yourself enough so that you can focus on others um, as a, as a key component. And I, I think it's probably driven by uh, my parents migrated to Australia. And a lot of kind of what they wanted to achieve was through their kids. And I think that's been passed on in, in a lot of the cultural aspects that I have and kind of what I deem as being success. Mm. So where do you think this idea came from for you? Was it, you mentioned that your parents migrated, but I'm curious to know, was there a gradual over time where you started realizing, okay, this is success for me, this is the legacy that I want to leave for people or was it more of a catalyst moment of, okay, this is the kind of person that I want to be and this is the legacy that I want to leave people? I would say because I because I sort of um, felt that it was part of my growing up, I, I, I don't think it was a one-time event. I think it's sort of been embedded in who I am mm. and what I value and what I do. So that, that effect of basically saying, you know, how am I helping others and what are they achieving? Um, is really important to me. Mm. So I don't think it was sort of one event. I think it was a continual sort of um, aspect of my growing up um, and it's obviously, you know, wiped off on me and that's that's who I am and how I operate. What was the one thing or one of the lessons that your mother or father taught you that you still remember to this day? I think it was uh, work, work hard. Mm. Um, you know, the, they came with a very strong sort of work ethic, um, work hard and um, just achieve achieve through working hard. Mm. And I think I've put that into everything uh, I've done. I mean, if you look at my time, I was, you know, I've been working in corporate jobs at the same time we've been running, uh, you know, businesses uh, in childcare. I've got investments in other businesses which I've also supported. So, I put a lot of effort into into working hard, and I try and I try and uh, push that through my kids as well. Mm. Obviously, now they work smarter as well, so um, that's that's learning you do over time too, how to be more effective. Uh, so it's not about only the quantity, but it's how you're more productive in that in that work you do. Do you believe in this saying, "Work smarter, not harder"? I I'll tell you when I when I started in the um, pharmaceutical industry, when I got my first job, um, I went into the interview and it was really hard at that point getting uh, into the sector because traditionally they took older, older, more experienced people that experience in sales. Mm. And uh, I remember going, I got one shot at it at an interview where I finally got into, uh, into, into, uh, into an interview and basically just said, look, I'll work for free. Um, and if I'm not outperforming anyone else, then uh, it's cost you nothing. But 
my attitude back then was if I'm as good as everyone else or or at the upper echelon of performance and I work more than everyone else, then I'm going to be winning. Mm. Wow. So when you first got started, did you actually want to go into the pharmaceuticals? Like did you see yourself as being a pharmacist like for later on in life or what, what were your dreams and ambitions as a kid? It's, it's uh, unfortunately, it's, I'm going to say it's pretty shallow because I, I kind of got into university because I knew that was, you know, an education was fun, really important to my parents um, in terms of having come to Australia and thinking, okay, one of, you know, one of our kids has graduated from university. Mm. I was good at sciences, so I ended up doing sciences. And then by third year, I really enjoyed pharmacology and, and, and sort of thought, what am I going to do next? Um, and I honestly entered that industry um, thinking that I would be a sales rep for the rest of my life and I was quite content at that particular point um, mm. and was loving the job um, and really enjoying it. And it was only until someone, one of my uh, managers tapped me on the shoulder and said, look, you're actually, you can do a lot more with your career and you should kick off a marketing career and go into other roles. And the company invested in me and I was lucky that um, I got the experiences to continue to grow so where did you go to from there? So how long were you actually working in the pharmaceutical sales well, I, sector? I spent, I worked in pharmaceuticals across three companies, but in every company I worked in, I was continually um, in new jobs. So I went from sales to marketing to sales management uh, to product and then went abroad, uh, worked in Puerto Rico, Central America and West Indies and had 13 countries there with all different uh, experiences and different regulations and different approaches. So I kind of really just grew within the industry and I was fortunate enough that, um, you know, every time I got to a job where you kind of got a little bit not complacent but you knew it well mm. um, and that usually is a sign when you stop learning, you need the next the next gig that kind of just makes you uncomfortable again. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, you get that next job, you start feeling uncomfortable, then you learn that and then you need another change because I think performance is driven a little bit by, you know, having this continual change um, mm. and being in a slightly uncomfortable uncomfortable zone. How do you think that going abroad and learning the things that you did abroad, how do you think that they helped you when you did come back to Australia and you did end up going in your next stage of, of life and your next career choice? Yeah, I think I think the key thing that you experience uh, being abroad is just the different, um, the different drivers and motivators for people. And I think the, the skill that you build is the ability to kind of be able to, to uh, you know, sort of sit back and understand um, the other person and the perspective and the values and the, and the way they think. Um, before you react on what you do. Mm. Um, and you soon learn that, you know, working in Puerto Rico as an example, the staff the staff worked not for the company, they worked for their boss. Yeah. And they worked for their boss if the boss loved them. So a good morning in Puerto you know, a good morning in Australia is often a courteous uh, experience. And if you ask people what they did on the weekend, you're expecting an answer, but not an entirety of the entire weekend. In Puerto Rico, they will tell you everything they did over the weekend. Mm. Um, and you need to know all their family and everything that happened. <laughs> wow. So you got to be a good listener. You got to know, you know, you got to know your stuff. 
Because yeah. if you don't, you're screwed. <laughs> and you gotta and you gotta invest the time. And yes, exactly. So when you did come back to Australia, then where did you go to from there? So I moved back into pharmaceuticals in a local, uh, another multinational company, but back in Australia mm. um, and worked for GlaxoSmithKline then um, in Australia, which is a large company, and uh, pretty much um, got to a point where I outgrew that job as well and, and really needed an industry change. Most of the jobs at the level I was at, um, you need to work at corporate head office Um, And unfortunately, Australia doesn't have too many large uh, pharmaceutical companies based in Australia where head office is here. So sort of outgrew the Australian market and needed a change and ended up at uh, realestate.com.au. So how how did that – okay, so I'm I'm curious. So you wanted a change because you had outgrown. You become better than the actual – the beast itself. You'd you'd grown to a point where you just needed a new challenge, um, I'm, I'm guessing. And then you decided yep. to go into realestate.com.au. So how did that all come about? Well, I, I sort of left pharmaceuticals and, and took a bit of time off and someone, you know, a recruiter phoned me and said, I've got the perfect job for you. Just, this, is, this is your job like it's meant for you. Mm. Um, and, of course, for REA Group, I was completely off brief um, because they're going, well, you're a pharmaceutical, um, you know, person and, and you know nothing about digital um like this isn't gonna work um and the recruiter said no see this guy he's 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 reasonable like you might like him so i got in front of them um Mm -hmm. most of the work actually was um explaining how uh the sectors are actually very similar so Mm. you know in in real estate and you would know having had some experience in real estate you know the the digital companies sell to the real estate agent and the real estate agent actually on-sells the product to uh, the customer, which is the vendor, right? And in pharmaceuticals, the pharmaceutical company uh, educates the doctors about the product and the doctors then um, recommend the product to consumers and write prescriptions. So the intermediary strategy is very similar. So the only interchange then is the product and, Digital products are technical and pharmaceutical products are technical. So my ability to understand technical products was there. So it's kind of like, well, it's actually the same. Yeah. Um, yes, it's a different product, but the skill set is actually completely transferable, mm. um, which was, uh, which, which, you know, I made pretty clear, pretty clear through the interview and then uh, obviously met the board and, and the rest is history. So they made you the COO of REA, which is, what does that COO stand for, for those that people that, that don't know? Uh, Chief Operating Officer, but I started off running sales in Australia and, and one of the things you learn, it's interesting with different industries, so obviously pharmaceutical companies are global, large organisations with massive, um, you know, number of employees with really structured processes and I was able to take a lot of that science in selling the way the way we structure our sales process and take that into um, a large Australian company which when I joined was worth about 1.5 billion and it's obviously worth about 11 billion now so we 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 use a lot of that sales experience and operational experience into REA to then obviously grow the capability of the business and and mm. and I guess the rest is the rest is history yes tell me about it because um, we used REA REA 
was the premier package deal and yeah. it worked. Like we noticed that because I my job was basically I would look at all the hits that a particular property would actually get and then I would yeah. get all the inquiries coming through as well. So there was thousands of people that were looking for a property all on REA and all at this one website or this, sorry, one yeah. property and they would all filter through to me and I'd have to go through every single one of them and see and qualify if his buyer was real or if it was just fake. Or yes. if were, you know, so that was that was a challenge for me, but I think REA made it a little bit easier for me. So if they gave me a like a phone number or an email address, the moment they gave me a phone number, bam, I'd call them. And yeah. if they picked up, great. If they didn't, you know, email them and then keep going with that. So I'm curious as well for, from your perspective, uh, what makes a good salesman, you reckon? Oh, wow. <laughs> what makes a good salesman? Um, look, I, I, think, know, um, I know my answer, but I'm curious to know yours. I, I think I think there's um, hmm, I think there's personal attributes, hmm. um, which is obviously you know the ability to interact, to listen, all those uh, you know engage, um, build rapport. So all of those personal personal aspects, and then I think there's a content um, aspect which is what's communicated, how effectively it's communicated. Mm. Um, and then there's a work ethic and frequency, um, you know, overage. So I guess when I looked at it as a scientist, when I looked at the organisation and when I looked at sales and a model that I used at, um, you know, pre-REA and into REA was um, efficiency, effectiveness and quality. Mm. So efficiency basically is how much does a rep get done mm effectiveness is who are they seeing and, um, you know, how many times are they seeing them? And quality is when they're in front of them, how good are they? Mm. And I, I, I use those three as my diagnostic for an organisation. And then I look at the management and sort of think about, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the readiness of our account managers and what's the culture in the organisation? Mm. Uh, which is driving the outcome. So that's that's as simple as I look at it. And then I do the diagnostic into those areas and think about how do you move a sales organization in a structured way around those capabilities. Mm. It's interesting how you went from being a scientist to then becoming a salesman. And I'll, do you think everyone can become a salesman? Are you sales taught or is it like within you? Is you born with it? Uh, look, I think... I, having managed a lot of representatives who have come out of uh, different capabilities, I think um, it can be you can learn the skills. I think for some they're more innate. I think you can learn the skills. I think the biggest single attribute which will determine that is the person's learning agility. Mm. So when you look at talent, I mean, as an example, when I used to recruit reps, I would. Um, let them sell to me and then I would coach them and then I'd let them sell again and then I'd coach them and let them sell again in an interview. And the reason I would do that is just to see whether they actually have an ability to take on feedback and use it um, back to you. So, so for me, that's probably the critical component. So is, it, is, it, is, is there a naturalness to it? Of course there is with certain capabilities, but can you learn those skills 
of course you can, um, but you've got to have the learning agility and, and be willing to do it. Mm. For me as well, I noticed that I was relatable to a lot of people and I didn't want to be classed as the salesman that was lying to people. So yes. I'm, I'm a man of integrity first and foremost. So I wanted to keep that intact. Yep. So I made a decision, especially with real estate as well. There's this massive, massive stigma that the real estate agent is going to sell you something because they're going to get paid a lot of money as a result. Yeah. So that they just like they're pushy. And I was never a pushy real estate agent. And yet I was reasonably successful at, at what I did and all the sales because people appreciated the fact that they could spend their money on the thing that they knew was right and they, they knew they felt comfortable with it. And, um, yeah. you know, I had a lot of real estate agents tell me otherwise and said, you got you got to hustle, you got to push them along a little bit. But I was just like, no, no, just trust me a little bit. It's going to work. People don't like being pushed. It is, and I think I think the um, the importance here, and I used to say this to a lot of my account managers, was see the other component which is really important is authenticity. Mm. Um, so you know, I used to when I coached my account managers, I'd always say to them, "Look, this is this is how I would have handled it, but I'm not you. Mm. So you need to th- develop a, an approach that actually is authentic about who you are and how you like to handle that situation, which, and, and we can talk about the effectiveness of that, but you do have to have an authenticity because I think mm. if you if you stray from who you are, then it will be very, very unnatural and that will be seen as an integrity issue or disingenuous, right? 100%. I think we could talk about sales for a long period of time, but... I want to move forward a little bit because I am mindful of your time, oh. Arthur. And and you you decided to do something very very different, which is go into uh, the childcare sector. So can you can you talk a little bit about why you decided to leave REA and then move into your own sort of field? Cool. Well, sort of the trifecta for me in the sense that. Um, we had, you know, I've kind of been a scientist, so I, I know how and spent a lot of time in neuroscience, understanding what the formative years are for children. So um, I'm a strong believer that, you know, early education and the right sort of environments for children are, are critical. My wife's a teacher, so she's got um, really strong beliefs in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she then moved into childcare on an operational basis, and then we started to acquire and build and develop childcare centres as well as incorporate. So we, we learned that sector. And then obviously moving on to REA, I sort of got a sense of how to create an immersive digital experience. So you kind of got the trifecta of kind of, yeah, it's important. We know what's missing and we know how to do it. And those three things sort of led me to go, well, you know, there really isn't anything great in childcare mm. as an immersive experience, which I think, is a beautiful experience but also tells the story from the way a child sees childcare versus, you know, showing them a building. We want to tell the story about when your child goes there, what will be the experience that they will have because I think it's important parents see that against often feeling guilt and stress about putting them into childcare. So we saw it as an opportunity. It's a, it's a large segment. I mean, it's, uh, you know, child, the child, in, the child care industry is worth about $16 billion. Mm. Um, so it's a massive sector. 
Um, and we thought there was an opportunity to aggregate up content and showcase the centres in a really nice way, which is immersive for parents to, to have a positive experience about um, choosing a childcare centre. So you would say that from a child's perspective, you've been able to incorporate that with your childcare centre. Would you say that that is your main point of difference to all the competitors out there? Yeah, I'd say our point of difference is, so I don't think right now if you're a parent searching, um, you pretty much have to look at a range of different sites and you can't really run a comparison. Mm. So one of the things we wanted to do is create consistency of format of the data so a parent can run a comparison but then we wanted to create a lot richer information in relation to how does a place feel that's a really important attribute for parents and right now um, you can only experience that by walking in the center we wanted to create that online so Mm -hmm. the parents could have a pretty good view of of kind of what the center feels like um, testimonials on video from you know from parents as well as hearing from staff who's going to be teaching my child who's interacting what's the culture feel like of the place mm. and as you know you, it's very hard to get that um, in content unless you unless you have very rich um, content available hundred oh, percent I was in the um, after school care industry for about two and a half years so I yeah. know I know what it's like you know in that sector all the policies procedures that go into actually supposedly helping a child have a good time but most often than not the companies that i was working for at least they weren't the kids were miserable i mean in childcare now i think the a lot of the guidelines and the quality um component is around giving kids engaging choices yeah so it's it's i think you know it's not pushing them towards an activity, but it's creating an activity that they want to do yeah. at that time. So I think it's critical that the, and this is part of the programming of the centres, is actually creating activities that are engaging for the children that actually they make the decision to go and do that, um, but they're engaged in activity. Because obviously if there's no activities in a childcare centre, it is chaos because you've got mm-hmm. kids just not knowing what to do. But if you actually go into a well-run centre, um, you'll actually hear the ch- like it'll be relatively uh, quiet as kids are engaged in different activities. And what you'll see is a spread of children at different different situations in activities, um, and it's quite beautiful to see. Yeah, I think. Um, and I think, obviously, yeah. and obviously, we know how important it is that you know whether it's motor skill development or sensory development or any of the other capabilities that they're all happening in a, in a sort of scheduled, in a programmed way, however the child is choosing to participate. Mm, I think for me as well, when I left, this was just starting to be introduced, like we're going to now leave this system of we're going to force the kid to go here, we have a, a planned uh, structure and we're going to have now allow the kid to choose. I think that's that's good now, <laughs> but I've I've been yeah. out of it for for years. So, oh, for, for sure, we've seen we've seen twenty years of it, right? So twenty mm-hmm. to twenty five years of it. So I'd say when we first got in the space, it was child. I would say it was child minding. Yeah, um, was what what the service was, and and my wife had come from an education background, so she orientated us towards 
really a, a school a school approach in terms of education. Yeah. Um, but I think the industry's come a long way now, and that and and really it's about which is the other component, right? Which is really important is the centres aren't just doing basic things now. They've got yoga classes, they've got language classes, they've got specialised art programs, and so forth. So one of the things we want to do is um, allow parents to see what programs are available, so that parents can make choices. Um, you know, every child's not the same and every centre is different. Mm. And what we want to do is help parents orientate themselves to the centre they feel is best fit for, for their child. Mm. And the parent can see this all online. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And as we're building richer and richer content uh, for each of the centres, we're actually making more of that content aware for, for the parents. Is that hard to do? Uh, is it, it is pretty hard to do because it takes quite a bit of uh, time for us in, in understanding the ethos of the centre. Um, obviously, we have to schedule interviews with parents, uh, with staff, uh, get all the approvals to have uh, the children in in the content uh, that yeah. we uh, create. So it does take a lot of work and, and it's trying to get the essence of that centre so the parent can say, yeah, I, I, there's something about that place that really appeals to me mm. and I think my child will work there versus another centre and that, that's what we're trying to trying to do in that content. I mean, it's probably not dissimilar to property, right? You know, mm. what real estate did is kind of allowed you to prioritise the properties that kind of suited you more. We're trying to do that with centres mm. um, in, in a detailed way. So how do you manage your time, Arthur? Like you seem like a very busy man. How do you structure, plan, prioritize your day? Uh, I pretty much, so we, we use a couple of, like our team uses some software, which is basically kind of has all activities and, and um, we use Slack as well um, to keep in touch as a daily rhythm. And then prioritisation, I sort of pick the large themes that I'm focusing on and I make those a priority. Mm. And then I constantly reflect on whether I'm on those things or off those things and being distracted. So I kind of keep myself pretty focused on doing that. This is this is um, not hard for me because I've been doing it for years running corporate jobs while we've been running our you know private investments and businesses as well. So, mm. you know, it's 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 probably just part of my part of my nature now. That's awesome. What would you say, Arthur, is your biggest fear with this business at the moment? Um, I think the biggest uh, fear with this business at the moment is just, so I would, I would say that the, so let, let me just rewind back on a couple of, of things. So the, mm. the industry is uh, a significantly large industry and, um, I think the female workforce has increased participation, so that means more parents are coming in, more children are coming into the system. We've also seen more parents seeing childcare as as, as something they want to use. Mm. Contra to that, there's an oversupply right now. So we had an oversupply of centres, which in effect our business then says, well, if that's happening, um, marketing and advertising become really important. Um the sector has not been used to advertising. Mm. So there's a, there's, and it's, you know, whilst there are some large organizations, the majority of the market is a long tail of smaller operators. So a lot of the challenge is just speed at which they'll understand that actually, if they don't advertise, um, 
you know, they won't run a successful business. Mm. And, you know, that's, again, against occupancies going, say, from 2012 where occupancy rates were at 95%, they're now down uh, to about 75 Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are centres that won't have children in them that will be in trouble if if they don't actually market actively. Wow. So in terms of marketing actively, what would you recommend to? Oh, yeah. I think digital presence is is key because obviously search, search now is happening online a lot more than what it used to. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the, the days of, you know, the, the local signage um, <laughs> and just relying on someone driving past. In 2012, that was still okay. Um, in 2020, that's not okay. Um, and then I think the other issue, which is an industry issue, is obviously with COVID and unemployment, is how many of the families will come back into the sector and can afford uh, childcare. Obviously, the government's just released the plan to try and help that, but yeah. you know we won't know until the dust settles. Of you know, job keepers coming out and seeing how many people are still employed and will require uh, care. So the industry may face an increase in uh, you know in in vacancy rates. Very interesting times indeed, and I have a it lot is. of a lot of respect and high praise for people like yourself, Arthur, that are in the childcare sector. And are doing stuff in this sector because it is very important, very needful. And having, I guess, gone through, you, you could say, looking after kids and knowing how important that actually is and the impact that you can make in many young people's lives is is quite important. So I just want to commend you on that and say, well done. It sounds like you're doing an amazing thing. Um, I looked at your website as well, Toddle. Very easy to navigate. Yes. A lot of... It's very um, it's it's easy, like it's it's simple, and it has yeah. it has a lot of information. Very like it's simplified down for you. Um, navigation's easy, so I encourage people to have a look at the website as well if they are looking for a childcare center. It's great, and um, a few more questions for you if you don't mind, Arthur. And and sure. that is, um, this is a legacy question. So I love asking this one towards the end, and that is you've, you've reached the age of 100 and your friends have put together a mixtape of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how they got it. I just did. And they've shown it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that mixtape to say and to show about your life? Um, I think it probably ties to my definition of success yeah. is that um, I'll refer back to um, impact on their lives, mm-hmm. events that have happened, fond memories and impact on their lives in terms of how how something I did or something I said or, you know, how I helped them mm-hmm. um, achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. I love um, that. that. That will be, I think that that's really the, the key memory. And what was what's one piece of advice that you could give to a young person at the moment or even an older person, you may never know, that is, either starting out in life or in business, they're struggling or just needing a boost? Um, look, I think I think minds, you know, it's interesting that I think yourself, you, you, you know, I said earlier when I, when I opened up that I think key to being able to um, be successful is there's a, a happiness in your own self. So I think you do need to, 
coach yourself and, and self-talk is very important in terms of positioning yourself in a positive way mm. um, and taking a bit of risk. Um, you know, I think, you know, people say, well, I haven't been able to do this or do that, but it's like, well, what have you done? What are you actually doing to try and get there? Mm. So I think it's taking risks and taking action um, and, you know, getting your self-talk right um, so you're in the right frame. Mm. Is there anything that you want to finish up by saying to people about your business, about where they can find you, anything like that? Uh, I mean, you can find us at total.com.au and um, I think if you're in the hunt for, for childcare, um, you know, we're trying to, you know, showcase, allow our customers to showcase their centres in the best possible way. Mm. Um, and it's a great opportunity, I think, for parents to alleviate some of the stress and concern over kind of finding, finding care. Definitely. I'll make sure that's all in the show notes below. Arthur, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast, sharing about your journey and why Total is important, how it's making a difference, how you're making a difference in so many people's lives. So thank you so much. Great. Thanks for your time, Jay. I don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. Catch you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.